Hi everyone, uh, so in front of me today, I have a qualified psychotherapist, an experienced public speaker, and a best-selling author. Her book, The Burnout Solution, 12 Weeks to a Camera You, unravels if you might be subject to burnout and how to better manage it. She has also appeared on the RTE documentary Stressed and is a regular writer for the Irish Examiner and Irish Times. Thank you for joining me, Siobhan Murray. How are you? I'm very good. Lovely to be with you. Thank you. Um, so firstly, Siobhan, one of your many expertise is burnout. So um, just to simplify it as much as possible, what exactly is burnout? Oh, I'm glad you asked me to simplify it. That's that's my language. Um, well, if you look at the, the World Health Organization, according to them, burnout is classified as a occupational phenomenon. Therefore, occupational is work related. Um, last year, they upgraded it. It's still not seen as a medical condition, which initially I was a little bit, mm, that's not great. You know, it should be. And within a couple of days, I went, no, great. Thank God it's not. Because as soon as it becomes a medical classification, it's then going to be treated with medicine. Mm. And here's the thing. I describe burnout as emotional, physical and mental exhaustion brought on by emotionally demanding situations. So those situations could be at home or they could be at work. It's not just one um, and leaving out the other. So you can have, I mean, a, a prime example of that is the last six months, um, March, April, May, where you had parents trying to do schooling that they hadn't been set up to learn how to what, what the curriculum was, what they were doing, whether it was primary or secondary. You had teachers with their own children at home trying to navigate doing Zoom calls or getting information to kids. Yeah. So that in itself, that could have caused burnout in a lot of people while they're still trying to juggle things because that's emotionally demanding. From a personal perspective, have you been busier because of COVID then as a result or? Absolutely. It's um, earlier this uh, at the beginning of the summer, I launched a work from home resilience course, um, which literally just flew because people needed to figure out how do I mm. actually manage my anxiety and my stress levels, which have escalated understandably and still manage family life and my working life. Have, have you had any experiences, though, because I have heard it once or twice. Now, this, of course, is anecdotal, but COVID has kind of influenced us to slow down as well because we, we, we can't work as much, mm. um, particularly like those who would have been going into the office regularly. Like, can you see any benefits in it? Oh, I, I it's interesting. I've I've been working from home for years. So for me, not a huge amount changed. So to see what was happening for for my clients and for people, not just in Ireland, but across the globe is, yes, they were being confined to uh, staying at home. The beginning, if I always look at from the 12th of March when the school stopped, parents and people hit the ground running. They were making sourdough bread. They mm. were baking banana bread. They were working out to Joe Wicks. They were doing all this stuff. So they literally they they bolted. Um, which in in its own what happened then was that people burnt out very quickly from that they was because it's not sustainable mm. people have had less to do because there was a, shops closed pubs closed restaurants closed but here's the thing is that the underlying low-grade stress of covid has still been there so there's been more exhaustion from people because they've had less to do yeah if, and and even with that, the lack of motivation, people because they're they're emotionally 
and mentally exhausted because they're constantly in that state of low grade anxiety and mm. um, that this is brought on. And also we've become less active by being doing the work from home bit. Um, I saw research earlier this week. I think we are two hours, 40 minutes less active during our day than we were when we were office based. Okay. So yes, I think for a huge amount of people, they absolutely love the fact that they're not doing those horrific commutes in the morning and the evening. But there's also there's there still needs to be work done on how to manage ourselves from that you know slower pace yeah there's almost been kind of you could uh reframe it as there's been like a mental overload now an increase yeah. pressure on the mental or the mind um yeah and so how I, I i obviously don't want you to give too much away about your resiliency course but like for somebody who you said is under more mm-hmm. pressure mentally by being at home um what is the general advice you would give to somebody in that situation who's feeling overwhelmed but still kind of trapped at home yeah well first of all to become very clear In anything, whether it's burnout, whether it's building up your resilience, which I will say everybody is resilient. Hmm. We all have it. Babies have it. If babies weren't resilient, they wouldn't get back up every time they fell because it's adaptability. It's, you know, it's that tenacity to keep going. Um, So, you know, when people say, well, I'm not resilient. Yes, you are. Sometimes it wavers and it dips a bit and you need to, to bring it back up. So the first thing I always say to people is ask for help, speak to somebody. So whether it's a housemate, a partner, a colleague, a GP, whoever it is, speak to somebody about how you feel. That's first and foremost. Then you need to start putting in the practical, which is what everyone I'm sure is listening, going to hurry up, hurry up, get to what, what do I do? What do I do? So, you, I mean, I call it the four pillars. You start with your four pillars, your sleep, nutrition, your exercise and your clutter. So in all of them, you need to be using your intelligence. So intelligent sleep, intelligent exercise, intelligent nutrition and intelligent clutter. Um, sleep. I mean, I could spend a whole hour talking to you about mm. that. We need to sleep. If we're not sleeping well, then that's going to affect our cognitive reasoning the next day. It's also going to affect our mood. It's going to affect how we if we have the energy to do any exercise and it's going to affect the type of foods that we eat with our food. You're going to look at this is not about being on a diet. It's about intelligent eating. What am I going to eat that's actually going to give me energy to get through the morning? What am I going to eat at lunchtime that's going to get me through to the afternoon? So it's mm. it's figuring out. And for everybody, it's different. It's different types of foods. Um, that's not to say don't have a pizza on a Thursday or Friday night. It's just about using f- food to fuel your body because you want to be able to eat well so you can sleep well and that you can exercise. So intelligent exercise is not about doing the online classes. If you can do that, that's great. But it's about getting out for a 20 minute walk. For anyone who goes, I don't know where to start with exercise, put your runners on, get out the front door, walk 15 minutes one way, 15 minutes back. If you can't even do that, bring it down to 10, 10 minutes one way, 10 minutes back. And do that because that will help you want to eat better and it's going to help your sleep. And then with your clutter. So you've walked into my office and I am slightly cluttered uh, today because I've had a busy working day. But it's not just the clutter that's around you. Um, And it's interesting. Again, I I was speaking to a journalist for an article that came out on Monday um, in The Independent in the UK about has lockdown allowed us to let go of friendships that maybe we found under an obligation to be in because that can be a huge strain on us as well. And that's when I talk about clutter. It's the clutter of the relationships and the friendships that over time 
bring us down, but we feel obliged to stay with. Mm. So this is an opportunity to go, okay, well, we, who are these friendships that actually lift me up and I lift them up because it's an equal. So to use your four pillars, that's your basics. And then you're going to start with resilience. You're going to look at, I have this actual matrix. It's the four S's. And the four S's are about looking at the past of a situation that you've been through that was challenging, okay. that you may have thought at the time, how on earth am I going to get through this? But you did. So and what I can do for your listeners um, is I can I'm not sure how we can do this, but we can find a way of getting them the download um, to do this workbook. And it looks at what strategies you used before what uh, what systems you put in place in your previous, what sagacity did you use? Like one of mine is uh, one of my sayings that I all the time go when I get overwhelmed and I need to build my own resilience up is this is not my circus, not my monkeys. And bringing that back into what my current situation is going, OK, who are the people I spoke to? Um, what, what advice do they give me that was, you know, that was logical, that I could work with, that wasn't just one sided. It could be a grandparent. It could be a random neighbor. It doesn't have to be someone really close to you um, and use those strategies from your previous, create another matrix and put all of those in and go, OK, this is how I'm now going to structure how I'm going to tackle this situation that I'm in. OK, um, <laughs> loads uh, unfold there. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go back. Probably the thing that interests me the most um, was the clutter aspect, the relationships. Mm. So y y you made the point basically like um, I know this is probably a broad question, but in relation to evaluating your relationships with other people, y you said people who make you feel energized. But could you go into a bit more detail about that? Mm. Like how how do you evaluate um, if a friendship is good or bad for you? It's uh, ultimately, I think it's how it's going to make you feel if you're around people um, and you find by the end of the, the period of time. And these can be family members um, not necessarily close, your immediate, your 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 pod, um, but extended family members. If you're finding that being in their, their company is leaving you exhausted or irritable or irritated or you're getting sucked into yeah. conversations that don't align with your own values, because that's ultimately what it boils down to um is we need to be able to go okay i need to put boundaries in place because i can't not go see my mother or my uh, adult siblings you know they're part of your extended family but i need to put boundaries in place so i need to be able to go okay i'm going to go but i know when i'm going to leave i know how i'm going to leave how i'm going to get out of this situation and um, i know these are my triggers that they don't align with my values. I'm not going to get sucked into that mm. and not. And the same with friendships. And I think, you know, a lot of people and especially Irish people were great at this. It's nearly like I've been friends with this person, you know, for however long. It's like a, a, an honorary badge that w it's the length of time that we've been friends rather yeah. than the quality of the friendship. OK, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people find it difficult, too, though, because maybe they have friendships that are entangled with other friendships. Yeah. And it's kind of like all or nothing, that type yeah. of thing. Although probably, though, it's not in reality. It's, it's not. And I think, well, I, I think the, the high level of restrictions that we've been under, I hate using the word lockdown, um, is is that, you know, it gave us that opportunity because we m may have only had the energy to call a couple of people 
because we didn't have because we go back to that emotional energy and um, that's been drained because yeah. of the low grade stress. So we we organically actually shrunk our circles. So it's now kind of like as those those restrictions are have been lifted um, are we now going to fall back into those those friendships, even though they weren't great for us? Mm. Yeah. Um, and then so going back, sorry, I'm obsessing about the clutter <laughs> aspect because that's the one that interests me. Um, would time management and goal setting be included in that clutter or is that separate? Yeah, no, I think time management, I talk about when I'm talking about, especially within the resilience from working from home bit, I talk about, um, you know, there is a very famous uh, way of working, which is work for 20, 25 minutes, take a five minute break. Now, to be perfectly honest, I don't know anybody. I'm still I am a grown woman. I am an adult. It takes me about 15 minutes to get organized for that 20 minute period of working. So that for me is just ridiculous. Um, so I do what's called the 90 minute hour. Okay. So I work for 90 minutes and then I take a 20 minute break. So 20 minutes allows me to get up, either go for my 10 minute walk one way, 10 minute back, grab a cup of tea um, or have something to eat. Or because I'm at home, I might put a wash on. It, it gives me 20 minutes to do something. Then I do another 90 minute hour A 90 minute hour gives you enough time to be able to be focused because we can't multitask. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you know this. Multitasking is a term that used was coined in the 1970s for computers, not human beings. OK. And so moving away from the time management, the problem for some people mightn't be the time management bit, but obviously mm -hmm. going back to it's the burnout. It's the need to have everything organized, to need to need to do everything. Mm -hmm. Um saying so to somebody slow down it's almost condescending yeah absolutely um, so how do you go about having that conversation with somebody who you think maybe might be subject to burnout well i mean the other thing with burnout just to, when you talk about the need to to have it all going um is the perfectionism mm, yeah. is yeah i mean it's it's that um and generally speaking funnily enough we don't it, that perfectionism doesn't come in doesn't come from others it's our own expectation of ourselves. Um, we need to stop watching so many Disney movies because there is no perfect. Well, what I try to do with clients is I am a hypnotherapist as well. So I would work with them about letting go. So rather than giving them more stuff that they need to do to be organized because they're already overwrought with what they have, they could have work, kids, partners, elderly parents, children, all of it. So what can we let go of in order to be able to have the time to do what's important hmm. rather? So it's like negotiables versus your non-negotiables. So you literally sit down and go, OK, what can we let go of? Right. What's what's not really important right now? Maybe that you feel obliged to do. But what can we for now? This is not forever. It's just for now, because you might have a new baby in the house. You might have a toddler. You, there's always different circumstances. So things change all the time. Once we can establish what your non-negotiables are, then we can look at the negotiables and what we can let go of. I think one common uh, negotiable that some people would argue is non-negotiable is um, comparisons to other people. That ties mm -hmm. in with the perfectionism. I need to be better than um, my friend or mm -hmm. uh, family member. Um, and so you've spoken about the relationship then between personality and stress. 
Um, yeah. Where does personality come into this on the topic of perfectionism also? Well, I think there's, there's, you know, inherently we learn an awful lot from our peers and our parents growing up, but we have our own personalities mm. um, and our personalities are going to affect how we manage ourselves in managing stress. Because, as you know, stress is important. Mm. Stress is not something we want to get rid of. Um, stress is a really important feeling that it, that an experience that we have in our bodies and keeps us safe. So if we have um, a high achieving personality and we're constantly under stress by ourselves to do better, to get the A's, to get promoted, to, to continually go, we then need to understand our, our, what our personality type is. The other side of it is understanding whether we're an introvert or an extrovert, or in some people's cases, an ambivert, which is in the middle. Because if our personality type is introvert, we're going to manage stress very differently than somebody who's an extrovert. And if we're an introvert in an extrovert's world, working or in college, trying to socialize and do everything the extrovert's doing, mm. that's going to have a massive impact on us because we're not giving ourselves knowing what that personality type is and how we actually nourish it equally for the extrovert. If the extrovert needs to be around people and they're working from home and there's no one else in the house all day because the kids are back at school, their partner might be actually back in an office um, and they're on their own, that can have a massive impact on them. Mm. And this is a perfect segue then into <laughs> um, my most interested question was you mentioned on one podcast that you think it would be better if children and teens were taught about their personalities more yeah. in school. Um, first question is straightforward. Why? But the second one's a bit more difficult. I don't know. Can you answer it? Is How would you think about going about that? In a very simple way, no different to the way than I do it with adults um, who come to me. Uh, I've had adults who come to me who I can tell straight away because I suppose I'm, I'm really interested in this. I can tell straight away whether they are falling into an area of highly sensitive. And if somebody is a highly sensitive person, they're working in an open plan office, there's noise all around and they're coming to me because they're burnt out. It isn't necessarily because they're being overwhelmed with the work that they're getting. It's the environment that's sucking everything out of them. Now, if we take that back a couple of steps to kids, to teens, yeah. and in the same way that we've brought mindfulness classes in, my, my boys, their teens, they do a term of mindfulness, a term of yoga, and a term of, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, in, in school? In school. And they're That's in a boys, fantastic. and they're rugby lads. They're, yeah. you know, full on. So each term, the three terms of school, um, they do the mindfulness. Actually, the headmaster does the mindfulness with them. Um, they yeah, There's a little bit of joking and messing and, you know, they're not all sitting there completely zened out. Um, but it does have an impact on them. It does have a positive impact, even then the yoga, because they're 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 using the mindfulness tools in yoga as yeah. well. So if we have got that far and we're doing that, that why would we not have a term where we're teaching kids to understand their own personality types? Would you be um, moving towards like giving them like Myers-Briggs tests or? 
I'd keep it a little bit simpler. I mean, I, you know, with the Meyer Briggs, which is brilliant. But I, I also think with a lot of this stuff is that we change and we evolve. But if we can give them a basic core understanding, mm. not just and not just of their own personality types, but of all the other personality types okay. so that they can go, hey, my mate, John, do you know, now that makes sense why yesterday he wanted to come out, but today he doesn't want to come out and kick the rugby ball around or go to ga or whatever. He just wants to sit um, and, and game for the day. But, you know, maybe sitting and gaming for that kid is how he replenishes his energy levels mm. so that he can come back into school on Monday. It's almost an extra degree of empathy training in a way. It's getting yeah. to empathize more by learning more about different personality types. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we're putting all this energy into, which is brilliant, to, uh, you know, to teaching about the different religions around the world so we can have empathy and understanding of different religions and different cultures. But equally, we need to, to understand. And this is the, one of the reasons for this, from my point of view, and I will say this to anyone who's listening, I do not have research to back this up, but I feel very strongly about this. I think if children, teens, had a greater understanding of their personality types, because I think there's a hell of a lot more introverted kids. And I think there's a misconception that introverted equals shy. Introverted doesn't mean shy. Mm. Shy is, is completely different. Um, introverted is the kid that just finds going to the house party or the school disco or whatever quite overwhelming because there's lots of people and it's all buzzing and they're exhausted when they leave. The extroverted kid, same like an adult, goes to the disco or the house party and is buzzing for days because they've had the best crack and they've talked to everybody. So you take that 14, 15 year old and now suddenly they still they want to be part of what their peers are doing. They want to be like the extrovert. So it's easier if someone hands them a beer to go, I'll have a beer or um, I'll take a smoke a joint or whatever it is because I now don't feel as awkward. Hmm. Uh, it's not about anxiety. It's about, you know, now oh, this is grand. I can, I can do what all my peers are doing. And I think that if we can teach the kids that actually it's okay to go to the disco and ask to be picked up at 11 or whatever, figure out how to get out of it, yeah. that you can come home that you have a greater understanding of what your needs are to manage yourself, then we would have a reduction in binge drinking in teens, older teens and drug abuse. I'm not saying we're going to eradicate it, but I think a lot of that binge drinking is associated with wanting to fit in. Mm. Um, on that topic, um, I know he's a controversial figure, but in relation to the research, um, Jordan Peterson has mm -hmm. a has a program that helps um, college students identify their personality traits. And that has shown the research has shown that they're less likely to drop out of college as a result. So mm -hmm. I know it's not a direct link, but it's somewhat related. Yeah. And I and I just think that there is, you know, with with maybe this would be an opportunity for any teachers that are going, what research can I do for uh, for my master's and <laughs> um, is, you know, I think. There's something very big in this because I do think we have an issue um, globally with older teens or mid-teens who get into drinking, the binge drinking um, and taking drugs because 
they don't know how to fit in. And because, you know, you add into that the the social media aspect, you know, all the different platforms that they're seeing information from, which is very different from even when I was a, a kid. Mm. Um, so I, for me, for, th- for young people to actually understand who they are and that equally that allows them that empathy piece to be able to understand their pals. Yeah. Um, and then moving in, obviously, you are a parent yourself. Yes. Um, so you mentioned now that like growing up now is very different. Um, do you feel that it's more difficult to parent now than it was 10 years ago? Or do you just think it's new challenges or do you think it's the same? I think I think it's new challenges. Um, I know, you know, my mum wouldn't have had to deal with me with social media and mobile phones. But yeah, with mobile phones and both of my kids are um, they both know this. I use find my phone. I have them connected to my phone. So from a safety point of view, I know where they are when they go out. Mm. So my mother didn't have that when I went out. So she had that worry where I don't have that worry because I can see their Dunleary pier jumping off the pier. That's another worry. But I know where they are. Um, what they see on their phones, there's, you know, you can monitor their phones as much as you want. We still, as parents, don't have 5% knowledge of how their phones work or what's happening. Or there's, you know, kids have double accounts or triple accounts. So there's there's definitely those challenges. However, those challenges are no different from what our parents had in that you have to build up trust with your your kids so there has to be that give and take. I call it if and then, you know, if mm. I give you the phone and I'm not going to check it, then I have to be able to trust you. So using that if and then. So, yes, I think I think it's a different world on some levels. But I wonder, and this is retrospective, I wonder if we w- were able to go back in time 10, 20 years and put social media out there and the the way that information is shared would we actually see the same type of stuff went on then, but we didn't know it because people didn't see what was going on in yeah. New York with a 14 year old in in real time as we do now. Mm. Do you think there's more of an emphasis of perfectionism on the parents now, though? Is there an expectation that they have to portray life as fantastic for their kids or for themselves? Both. Both. Uh, I suppose that's a difficult one to answer because I'm so not that, <laughs> that parent. I'll, um, I'll, I'll actually change the question because right. this is more um, helpful. If somebody feels they're in that position, mm-hmm. because obviously with your expertise in burnout, what mm-hmm. um, what immediate advice would you give? That they feel... They feel like they need to be the perfect. They feel like they're competing mm-hmm. with other, let's say, parents and that mm-hmm. they want their child to get the 620 points mm. to uh, to go to the best college to get the best job mm. um, while keep taking care of themselves. Do you know this uh, like yummy mummy stereotype mm. type of thing, for example? Yeah, and I don't think that that exists. I think there's a price to pay if you're going to put all that focus. Um, you know, I would... I would be very much a believer of every child is born as we all are, was born with a map of the world. So you can try and push that and push that uh, to create that perfect environment for your kid. But if their map of the world is to go off and become a carpenter or a hairdresser or a, a brain surgeon, it doesn't matter where it is. If that's their map of the world or, mm. a, you know, an artist painting on the street, 
you can push them and push them, but no one's benefiting out of it. Um, the stress levels that everyone is being put under. That's not to say you let your kids away with blue murder and and, you know, do whatever you want and let's it's a free for all. But I think there has to be there has to come um, a, an understanding that we don't own our kids they're 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 in this world our job is to feed them clothe them protect them and love them um it's not to be their friend and it is not to give them the career that we think is what they need mm. good answer <laughs> um and then so um i'm going to move then from parent burnout to teacher burnout so you mentioned that you were involved with some research I no i actually work with schools in Maybe. the states i work with what are called charter schools so charter schools in the east coast of america are similar to our desh schools okay. um in that they are um the i suppose the, the, the best way to describe them is charter schools are in disadvantaged areas and they're very interesting um they would run from nine until four so similar to or eight until four similar to ours However, you could have um, class A comes in from eight until one mm -hmm. and class B comes in from uh, one until four. And the reason being is that these kids could be from such traumatic backgrounds that they may be parents themselves. They could be 14, 15 year old parents themselves. They can't have somebody mind their kid all day. They could be the eldest child um, within the family and parents, there's drug abuse. So they have younger children, that, younger siblings that they need to mind. Um, so there's a lot of it, it's a lot of heavy stuff goes on. So the teachers that work within these schools right along there, right across America, I work with the East Coast, their level of teacher burnout is um, it's phenomenal. I mean, they they go in incredibly empathetic and passionate and in a very short period of time because the teachers listening to this will love this uh, in the states by law the students are allowed to have their phones in classrooms and you can't take them off them right. so if you imagine that you are dealing with a group of students that there could be a lot of attitude and you're saying, you know, get off your phone, you could spend 20 minutes of the class having that conversation and actually not getting any work done. So you see um, compassion fatigue happening a lot with the teachers in these schools. So just to explain to anybody who doesn't understand compassion fatigue. So compassion fatigue, and you see it within the medical industry as well, but I, I, I see it so much within um, the education profession is teachers who go in really passionate what they're doing okay. and they're full on you know want to make a difference but the challenges um of what they're up against and the level of burnout they get to the compassion that they start out with for their students and their colleagues can start to wane and before they know it they go into school and they have no compassion left um it's not that they took the job N not being compassionate it's just it's depleted and then of course it's counterintuitive because 
that burnout then from the teachers is not helping the children in return. Yeah. So um, do you you work with them in that? So you would offer therapy to them or? So what I do is I do coaching with them. So I okay. would do um, eight week coaching programs with the school. Um, so with the um, in the past, I would have gone over to the States to do it. And um, we would have done them as two day workshops. So we would have literally pulled it all together. And um, what we've done this year is we've done them as webinars so that the teachers, because a lot of the schools, the teachers are still actually at home. They're doing online schooling still, um, especially around Florida. And I will talk them through the whole process of, again, the working from home and how to keep their resilience, their boundaries, how to mind themselves, how to deal with compassion fatigue before it hits. Um, and get, would they basically come out with an action plan that's specific to them, um, but has been given right across the board to all the different types of teachers. And so I know I keep asking for like tips and tricks uh, when they're probably complicated answers, but like for teachers in Ireland now specifically, mm. um, any teacher who feels that they're under pressure, particularly now with going back to schools, they're probably anxious as well with COVID. Mm -hmm. um, any immediate advice? Yeah, well, it's funny you say some teachers, they're all yeah. and they're all. Do you know what? I just want to say as the mum of school going kids, I cannot thank the teachers enough. And I want to take that opportunity. You rock. You're amazing. Um, I think for those that have kids, those that have uh, compromised immune systems, for those that don't, but have literally pulled out all the stops, all of you, they're just, um, I think what what the teachers have done is, is amazing. Um, understanding that, this is going to sound a bit bizarre, because here's teachers were constantly telling children to raise the bar and to, to reach their full potential. My biggest advice for teachers this term anyway is lower the bar, lower mm. their personal expectations of themselves, of what they feel they need to be able to do. Look at that, those expectations go, OK, actually, what's realistic not to keep on going for right at the very top? I want my kids this class to get A's or whatever it is, because your self care is going to get your students across the line. If you're going in utterly exhausted because you've set the bar too high for yourself. So my biggest piece of advice for teachers would be lower the bar. Fantastic. Um, we're coming towards the end now. Um, one question I ask all of our all of our guests is um, take your time on this. There's no rush because <laughs> it's a big question. But if you could give one piece of advice to the next generation coming through now mm. that maybe um, every single teen or or child would have exposure to this piece of advice what what would it be gosh that is a big question isn't it yeah um and it's 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 funny because as i sit here i've had so many different careers and it's taken me to get to the age i am now um to be in love with what i do um i still I have to mind my self-care so I don't get burnt out. You know, all of that, I don't just sail through it. But I think the biggest piece of advice is not about knowing what it is that you want to do. It's about experiencing um, things so that you can go, actually, no, that's, that's something I don't want to do. I'm not going to do that anymore. And all legal, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, just because... 
in you do first year in college on a course that you've chosen, that doesn't define you for the rest of your life. Um, just because you don't want to go out on a Friday night doesn't mean that you're antisocial. Just because, you know, do the things that that sit with you and trust your gut um, and don't. And, uh, you know, it's as cliched. Don't just run with the pack. Be a leader, yeah. you know, and you can be a leader without being in charge. Mm. Mm. OK, very good answer. Um, and final thing then, Jamon, um, where, where can people find you if they're interested? So all social media um, is twistingthejar.com and the website is www.twistingthejar.com. Um, link to the book, which is on um, all book sites and bookshops and small bookshops around the country. Um, it's on audio now as well. And all my courses are on the website too. Perfect. Um, I'll be sure. I'll be sure anyway to include um, the burnout solution on the show notes. But um, thank you so much, Mon. Really, really grateful for the, for you doing it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you.